Well, good morning. It is great to see you. I trust this has been a wonderful week for you. You know, Christmas is just, uh, regardless of our circumstances, something just so wonderful about the season of the year and what God has done for us in Christ. So uh, God's blessing as we meet together to you. Well, today we wrap up a very helpful series that we've been involved in for this month of December as a child, helping us to see the Christmas story, but really bigger than that, helping us to see life through the eyes of a child recapturing childlike eyes of faith and wonder and anticipation and blessing. Uh, It's just a great thing. You know, if anything can be said of children, we can certainly say they tend to live in the moment. Uh, We adults kind of live with baggage of uh, concerns and worries and past and future stuff and what people think of us and all those kinds of things, and it really weighs us down, but kids just don't do that. I have fantastic grandkids. It's been fun to be with them this week. And I always enjoy when they, they come over. They do these songs, you know, and dances. And they're totally oblivious to what people think of them. They're just in the moment. It's all in participation. And it's, it's kind of fun. I find myself uh, seeing them kind of jumping in. I can do a pretty fair rendition of Let It Go, actually, uh, with them. Uh, no, it's not going to happen this morning. Uh, but just, it's just fun to see that enthusiasm for life. I saw this recently as well. My grandson invited me to see Star Wars. Of course, I had to do that. It was great, great fun. But there was something even more that, that took place during that time. I was, I was noticing this theater was filled with, just packed with adults mainly and a few kids. And what a cultural phenomenon. Uh, for two hours, all of us were just kind of in this moment watching our our villains and heroes fighting for the control of the galaxy, you know, and it was kind of like uh, this amazing connection where we didn't even know that the Broncos were being smoked that afternoon, uh, which they were, but we didn't care. We were just captured in this time of just seeing the movie caught in the moment for it. So I'd like to talk about a theme today that I think is very prevalent in the Christmas account and one to something that God calls us to. And it is this quality of living in the moment, being present where we are. Now, there's a reason for the message. It's a great concern of mine, and I've talked with many of of us here, actually, about this terrible new cultural value that has kind of emerged among us in our nation, in our community. And it is this value of fear. Fear is seemingly gripping us in our culture. I see it talked about, I hear conversations and and all of that, and it concerns me. Fear is like a magnet. For some reason, we are just drawn toward it, attracted to this quality of fear and live there. Now, it's troubling because fear keeps us stuck in the past or worried about the future. And the danger lies not only in how it messes up our lives emotionally and just troubles us, but it also keeps us from living in the moment. And in that keeps us from really hearing what God might have to say to us in the difficult things that we face in life. It's almost as if fear comes into our lives and we tune out God, where we just don't think he has anything of relevance to say about our fear-filled circumstances. Have you noticed, for example, how fear has emerged in the political debates of today and talk shows on radios? and economic decision-making, and even in religious settings. 
and our minds run with all these, these what-if scenarios that fly around us. What if terrorists take over our community? What if such and such a person is elected president? You can fill in the blank, however you like to do that. What if the scan comes back and the doctor says, I'm sorry, but it's cancer? What if my job is terminated? What if I fail my exams or I fail my family or, or fail God? Fearful living brings us into a future that we've created in our minds, but it's not real. And yet it grows in power over our lives. Columnist Brett Stevens has put it this way. He describes our society in America today as trying to keep our nightmares at bay. And he may be correct. We need to red flag fear and see it for what it is. It is not from God, and there's a better way that he's called us to live. You know, but it's not just the future. Fears also can focus on what has happened behind us. Our past failures, our past pains, our past hurts, our past regrets haunt us as people. Where we relive the story, our history again and again and again. Strangely, we're stuck in a place that no longer exists. But again, my concern is not only that the focus stresses us out, but it keeps us away from the vision and beauty of what God has for us in our lives. It fogs our vision. In the words of the song, let it go, let it go. God desires that we live in a moment a place where the past and the pleasant present collide in time. The present is a time of potential. And even more foundational, the present is the only place we will ever live. So this morning, I want to paint a couple of biblical pictures for us. And then out of those biblical stories, see if we can't make this extremely practical in terms of what can we do now to live in this reality. Now, the first story I want to share with you is some, about someone who lived at the Christmas account. Her name was Mary. We admire Mary tremendously. And shortly after the birth of Jesus, the Bible has this great description of what's going on in Mary's life. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 19, we read this. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, certainly as parents, we can identify a bit with Mary. First child is born, there's something that's uh, incredible about that experience. But I think there's something else going on here that's a bit deeper we must explore. This is a curious expression that we sometimes gloss over. Mary pondered these things in her heart. Pondered. That is, she gave weight, she gave attention, she gave thought to what was occurring at this very present time, trying to fit it all together. So you say, what was Mary pondering? Well, think about her year. Her Aunt Elizabeth, who was already on Medicare, never had kids, is suddenly pregnant. Elizabeth's husband, her uncle Zechariah, suddenly goes speechless. Now again, we can understand some of that, given the situations. But then when the baby John is born, he goes over the top verbal. 
and becomes very prophetic about what God is doing in this time. Mary, meanwhile, meets an angel herself who is very conversational and has very specific plans that he, the angel relates to Mary about God's plans for her. It's way out of the box. And Mary just replies, how can this be? Through a creative work of the Holy Spirit, Mary is pregnant. She almost loses her fiancé in the process. Mary gets caught up into this first century, century political mess where she has to make this late pregnancy donkey ride across the country to Bethlehem so that some politician can count her name in the place where her ancestors were from. Rooms in Bethlehem are booked. It was Christmas Eve, after all. And Mary is forced, was, Mary was forced to deliver this baby in a stable where it's cold, surrounded by animals. She's informed that her baby is the Son of God. And then the very same night when Jesus is born, fellow homeless people arrive en masse to pay a visit. And they're blubbering on and on about some angel that they saw, and then a bunch of angels that were singing the Hallelujah Chorus or something like that, giving glory to God, and they just had to come and pay their respects. I mean, do you think your year was interesting? This is Mary. But what is most important here to see is that in response to all that was happening in Mary's world, it said that she pondered these things. She treasured them in her heart. She lived, if I might say it this way, in the present, enjoying the things that were taking place around her. Now, in some ways, this stretches us more than we would think. We forget that Mary had many reasons to be fearful. She was poor. She was newly married. She had just given birth to a child that she was responsible for. She had no place to live. She was homeless. She was likely a young teenager herself. Passage is not clear regarding any personal family support she might have had. Probably the one person that could understand her situation, Elizabeth, lived a long way away in Judea. While many things were unclear to Mary, or even confusing, her attention was fixed on the now, and she pondered these things. Now note this, because I think it's really key to what we want to understand today. The result of her pondering made her very much aware that God was at work in her life in these events. She knew that. She knew that. She was aware. Now, earlier, Pastor Phil was uh, doing some confession. I must confess to you, too. I'm not a very good ponderer. I thought about this. Uh, I, perhaps like some of you, struggle sometimes with times of quiet times or devotional times. Sometimes I do really well, and sometimes it just falls flat. Even Sabbaths, these weekends, these Sundays that are set aside, uh, the time that God created that we might press meaning into the things we do in our lives can be really hard for me because there's so much stuff to do, so many important things to accomplish, so much to be involved in. Who has time for pondering? 
Let's look at a second passage of scripture in this regard and how to live in the present. I want us to turn to John chapter 21. And what we're doing now is fast forwarding about 30 years in the future from Christmas Day. A lot of stuff has occurred, a lot of good things, some hard things, some victories, some challenges, all of that has happened. But I love this passage in John 21 because it is so real to life. Jesus has just died on the cross for our sins. Three days have passed. He is raised from the dead in his resurrection with great power and victory over sin and death. He is making his third appearance to his disciples following his resurrection. And here we come to this passage in John 21. And perhaps we can all read it together. I think that would be helpful. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. Now this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You see the setting? shore of the Sea of Galilee. Seven disciples are present. Five of them are named for us. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, and John, who are referred to as the sons of Zebedee. And two are unnamed, referred to only as two other disciples. Not much going on that day, so Peter says, let's go fishing. And the seven spend all night catching, catching nothing as they tried to fish. Early morning comes, the light begins to dawn on the day. And Jesus is on shore, about 100 yards away. At first, they had no idea it was him. And he calls out, I think with a little bit of uh, humor, friends, have you caught any fish? <laughs> no, they replied, but thanks for reminding us that we wasted this entire night. That's uh, editorial. And then Jesus suggests something equally funny. Well, then why don't you throw your nets down into the sea 
about three feet to the right. Really? So the secret of fishing is that we're three feet off from our... However, they act on the suggestion, and soon the nets fill with fish. Now what happens, happens at this point really, I think, is, is great and humorous, but also very convicting in the process. It was John who first got it. He said, guys, it's Jesus. And Peter immediately, he said, yeah, it is. He jumps into the lake. He does his personal best doing the 100-yard swim because he wants to be with Jesus as soon as possible. They all arrive on shore, and Jesus has a fire going. There's fish broiling on the grill. Great, great scene. But the fascinating part of this story to me is what follows in verses 11 to 13. Let's take a look at that again. Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. And you're probably looking at me and saying, well, what's so fascinating about that? Friends, it's the fish. The fish. And specifically, the number of the fish. 153. I don't know if that hits you strange, but like, who cares how many fish are in the net? Does it matter if there's 153 or there's 15 fish out there? Now put yourself in this story for a moment. I think it all comes together. Jesus is serving breakfast. And likely there's conversation that's surrounding this meal as they're eating and talking and so forth. And remember, this is right after the resurrection. There's been very little time to process everything that's happening. And likely Jesus is talking about the wonder of God's plan of salvation, this eternal plan of the ages that has been fulfilled in his death on the cross and resurrection. His payment for sin. And in the background, you hear some talking. 57, 58, 59. Did you get the one, the big one flop? Yeah, I got it. 60. Jesus is talking, explaining the mysteries of salvation and how the door to eternal life has been opened to all who believe in him. And suddenly, 97, 98, 99, 100, they shout. Boy, wait till I tell my wife about this day. This has been incredible. I've never seen so many fish in my life. Jesus is providing an inside look at the resurrection. Can you imagine a face-to-face with the resurrected Jesus about God's power and victory? 151, 152, that's it, 153. John, take a note of this. Write this down. You might need this someday. 153 fish. Let's just say that not everyone in this picture is living in the moment. Some disciples were there, but they weren't there, if you know what I mean. You know, the challenging part of this story, to me, is the same dilemma that I find myself in at times. 
It's interesting to me because really there's nothing wrong in counting fish. There's nothing sinful about fish counting. Sometimes counting fish is really important and necessary. It's just that these disciples seem to miss or be unaware that Jesus had something very significant to say in this moment. Maybe it's a little bit like the Mary Martha dilemma, you know, where they're fixing the meal and Martha is so busy in the kitchen and Mary's with Jesus that it's possible to miss out on a life-giving encounter with Jesus in our busyness and our preoccupation and in our even good routines of life. It's so interesting here because life transformation is occurring as Jesus is speaking. Think about Peter, for example. Peter, the fear-filled disciple who just days earlier even denied that he knew Jesus. So much afraid, so much living in fear that he, he just refused to identify with Jesus in any way. And now he's listening to the Savior. And Jesus is building in him courage and making him a new man. It's interesting that right after this breakfast, Jesus and Peter especially go for a walk. And Jesus walks Peter through his past fears and his past failures and his future concerns and begins shaping him into a man who wants, he wants to live in the present. For he says, follow me, Peter. Follow me, present tense. You don't have to figure out all the stuff of your past or figure out the future. Just follow Christ. So what does it mean to live in the present? Let's bring this down to where we live, how this works. I think two qualities are really important. The first is this, awareness. Now what's remarkably helpful to me about the stories of Peter and Mary was their awareness that in their present situations, God wanted to say something to them. God wanted to do something in their lives. Mary pondered, Peter swam, but they both got it. So how does this work? We all have a past. Every one of us in this room, we have a history. Sometimes those histories can consume us and weigh us down. Probably for most of us, there's some things in our past that we'd like to tweak a bit or change. A lot of positives, maybe some regrets. It's our history. But here's the newsflash. God has something to say about your past. He wants you to know that your past may have been where you came from, but it's not where you live. It's not where you live. We're to let go of our past and live now in the presence where God is at work. So you say, what is God wanting to say? Well, if you know Jesus and you're thinking about your past, have you heard this? Of God saying to you, listen, because of Jesus, you are totally forgiven from every failure, every sin in your life. Totally forgiven. It's God saying, listen, I have forgotten about those failures. You can too. It's God saying, listen, you are my beloved child or you're my beloved daughter or son. You belong to me. You always will be mine. That you are loved. That you are a new creation where former things 
have passed away and new things have, present tense, have come. Not just will be. Do you hear it? Are you aware? Friends, we also have a future that God wants to speak into you. Now, we don't know what's in our future because it hasn't arrived yet. It's waiting to be created. So instead of being gripped with fears about what hasn't come, Jesus instead speaks into this present. In fact, he uses a term repeatedly in the New Testament, in the Gospels, 80 times. He uses this expression to speak about this. He calls it the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is near. It's among you. And he spoke of his kingdom not only as a future event, but a present reality where God rules redemptively in the lives of people and cultures. And he calls us to live out that kingdom dream in our lives and what God is doing. Believe me, this beats fear by a long shot. And it's even better than counting fish. This is the day, this present is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm working on a practice in my life, and sometimes I do it really well, and sometimes I don't. But especially as I travel, I make this just kind of a, one of the things in my to-do list to do uh, every trip. That is, when I go someplace, especially as I travel, I try to really focus in and notice people in more than just a surface way. Um, this happens especially in airports, where you have these, these hours to kill in airports. And it's a great experience. I remember I was sitting in Chicago. The place was just packed with people, and we were sitting in the food court, which is a bunch of tables that are just, uh, I mean, standing room only kind of thing. And I noticed during my observations, there was a, this little lady. Um, she looked very dejected and was working at a feverish pace. And, and her job was to, uh, awful job, <laughs> but her, her job was to clean the tables in the food court. And so table by table, as they were free, she would clear out the mountains of, of trash, and she wiped down the tables and spray them so they were nice and clean for the next person to come. And every 10, 15 minutes, of course, they were retrashed for her to keep on doing more and more and more. And I just was praying for her. One of those times, just, I just felt in my heart something about her. And so I, I, I kind of went over to see her, and I said, uh, just want you to know, Thanks for the work you're doing. I've noticed that. You're, you're doing a great job. I know you're really working hard and you're making our meals here a much more pleasant experience for us. And I just want you to know thanks for doing that. There was no sermon. Revival didn't break loose, okay? It just, it just didn't want to even be noticed. I just felt I should say something to her in that moment. I still remember she looked up just for a glance, had a little half smile, and then she went back to rubbing the table and carrying out with her work. Shortly after that, we boarded the plane, and a lady sat down next to me, and, and after a few introductions, she said, were you the man that talked to that lady in the, uh, in the common area? Thanks for doing that. I felt the same thing. And it was interesting because out of that in-the-moment experience, this great conversation took place for the next couple hours on this flight about why we do this and, and God's presence in all of these things as well. It's been a process for me. It seems I have to keep on retaking this course on awareness in my own personal life. One of the sobering experiences of my life, and I still remember it, and 
uh, one of the folks from church who had been on a, a mission trip with us, a mission trip was recounting the very same day. We were in Peru. And by the way, I really recommend these mission experiences. Great, great, great time if God's leading so in your life. But we were on this experience, and it was a great trip. And we were sharing Jesus with people in their homes and wherever we found them. And it was, it was just a work of God, and people were coming to faith in Jesus. And that night at 5 o'clock, we had planned that we would have the first gathering of all these new believers together and form a church. Now, if you've ever had a similar experience, it is the best. Because you see all these people whose lives are being transformed as they've encountered Jesus. You hear the stories and, and all the rest. And so it was a great day. It was late in the afternoon, just a few minutes before five. And so the group of Americans and Peruvians was working back toward the place where this meeting was going to be held. And, and I still remember it. I was kind of, I felt like the official timekeeper for this event. And it was just a few minutes before five. And I'm trying to herd the cats, you know, so to speak. They get them back to the meeting because we were going to be a little late. Um, and my calling was not to count fish, but to count minutes, okay? Because the group was not moving. And we walked by this park filled with people, uh, parents and kids, and everybody was just playing. And I'm, I'm still walking ahead, and the group has left me. I am, I am there alone. And I go back, and I said, guys, don't you know what time it is? After 5 o'clock, this is the big meeting, you know, big meeting night. We're missing it. And I still remember they looked at me and said, don't you know there's all these people and they need Jesus? So we're late to the meeting. (laughs) But God worked. You know, to that day, from that day, I have never worn a watch. I don't wear a watch. I don't have a watch. I figure time doesn't mean anything keeps me too constrained sometimes and miss out on what God wants to do. You know, awareness is a tough thing to develop, but it's wonderful. What if we ponder right now, what is God wanting to say and do in my life right now? What is he saying to you? What if you were to say to God and develop this pattern, what do you want to say to me today? You know, I was thinking about this. When we leave this service in just a few minutes, we're going to be out in the lobby. And instead of just rushing out, maybe just praying this, God, what do you want me to do today? What do you want to say today? Are there some people there I should talk to? Somebody to pray for, someone to encourage, someone to connect with. No pressure in this, but just to say, God, do you have something for me here today? Do you want to say something? I remember visiting a large church in Chicago where the pastor was recalling the events of the week before. And he was talking about the subject of awareness and putting others' interests above your, your own interests. You know, the passage in Philippians chapter 2 was great. And apparently, it was, it was quite a, an impactful week for the church there. It was kind of a good news, bad news thing, however, because the good news, good news was people were responding and applying the message. I mean, they just really got it, and they were doing, they were aware, and they were putting other people before themselves. But the bad news that the pastor had to address the week I was there was they had a traffic nightmare in the parking lot. Everybody was putting other people before themselves. Like, you go first. No, no, you go first. You pull out. No, I'll let you. And no one moved in the parking lot, and they had this disaster. <laughs> and they couldn't clear out the, the parking lot for the next service to begin. And I thought about that. It was a mess traffic-wise, 
But I think God smiled. I like it, awareness. Secondly, living in the present also means action. The importance of acting on what we're aware of. I think we realize that fear immobilizes us, but action moves us forward out of fear. Always works that way. You know, embedded in in the present lies this incredible opportunity that is unlocked through something we call choice. God created us as people, every one of us in this room, with the power to make choices. Choosing is an intensely spiritual activity. It really is. But we know that choices cannot be made in the past, nor are they made in the future. They are made today. They are made in the present. Our choices have great power. They move us toward God and the adventure that he has for us, or they can move us away from God and into fears. Choices can bring healing from our past and courage for the future. But choices are only made in the, future, in the, in the present. rather. I love how Jesus lived this out. He was constantly doing this, making choices every day of his life. In fact, he said, I'm just doing what I see the Father doing. A great example of this in Luke chapter 8. You remember a man by the name of Jairus had a daughter who was very, very sick. She was 12 years old, it says. And he came with this impassioned plea to Jesus. Please help me. Heal my daughter. She's dying. She's only 12. And Jesus, in his compassion, of course, agrees. And he, and he goes with Jairus. And the disciples are following And as they're traveling along, Jesus suddenly stops. He chooses to stop. And he says the strangest thing. Someone touched my robe. And again, it's one of those statements that I think if I were there, I'm sure the disciples and Jairus felt this way. Lord, who cares who touched your robe? There's people everywhere around here kind of jostling here and there. Worse... Jesus begins a conversation about this whole process and what's happening. And he finally identifies a woman who had been very, very ill for some 12 years. He takes time to heal this woman. And then again, with increasing frustration for Jairus and the disciples, he begins to converse about this. I'm counting minutes. I'll be honest with you. Let's move it along, Jesus. We have a a very tense situation here. Sadly, by this time, the girl has died. The father's worst fears have come true. And yet Jesus was constantly living in the present. He viewed time so uniquely. And not only was a suffering woman healed on that day, but moments later, a young 12-year-old girl who died would be raised back to life. Praise God. That's that's the ultimate win-win of this day. Living in the present is so vital because like that story, we just don't know the significance of what is wrapped in moments, even moments that are frustrating or confusing to us. Today, I trust you know, God is orchestrating people and events and churches in this great movement of his spirit. And in that, we have choices to make. 
I think it's a great time for choices for us as a church. Very exciting stuff. And great times of choices for us as people as well. Are we aware? Are we in? Now, being present does not mean that we forsake our past. It does not mean that we don't make plans for the future. It's not being oblivious to circumstances around us. We may not have enough money to pay the bills today, and that's important to consider. We may feel powerless and trapped in a job that's frustrating. We may have cancer this day. We may be angry with a family member. You may have broken your leg, and it's still going to be broken by the time the day is over. Your car accident may have to be resolved. World events continue to concern us. But note this, in every circumstance of your life, God has entrusted you with the power to choose and the power to choose to invite him into that situation. Instead of reminiscing or hoping one day, there's another way to live. We can choose to move away from loneliness and complaining and fears for God is present and we can choose to focus on what he wants to do in our lives. I'm continually fascinated with choices that people make. I am so thankful for our church and its involvement in our community, our involvement in the world. Recently, our Gospel Unleashed teams from church saw this in action. We were, uh, had a significant fall, I believe, in the Middle East and South America and Africa, Egypt. And I love being with our ministry partners. One man, some of you have met already, his name is Isla. I think his photo is going to be on the screen here. This is his family with him. Tremendous person who leads an indigenous African church planting movement that is of great importance in kingdom work. Isla is a former Muslim who, because of the act of love, which seemed very small at the time of a Christian toward him, chose to put his trust in Jesus. Major consequences followed. Though he had very little, God made him aware of the dozens of tribal groups in Africa who needed Jesus, involving hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who need Christ. He made a choice, which he's told me he had no idea what I was doing, that he would trust God, enlist the help of others to reach these people. He didn't know where to begin. He didn't know how it was going to turn out. His volunteers were largely untrained people who were uneducated people, but they made a choice. They made a choice not to put God in a box, but believe and trust God to do whatever he, could, he wanted to do. That nothing was outside the realm of what he wanted to accomplish. And extraordinary and supernatural events took place following that. He said it was like living a, a chapter in the book of Acts with his friends. Awareness and simple choices of faith. It's living in the present. Isla just shared with me that in this last year, in some of the world's toughest places, they saw 12,000 12, new disciples. Over 3,300 Muslims that they work with were baptized in the name of Jesus. Over 4,000 of their leaders trained. We have been asked to be their primary training organization to train their leaders. 
Their work takes them to high-risk areas. Some of their workers have been killed. I asked them when we were together in November, I said, do you ever imagine that years ago when you trusted Jesus as your Savior where this would all go? He said, of course, of course not. I had no idea what this was going to be like. And then I asked him a second question. How do you deal with the fears? How do you deal with the fears that come with the territory with what you do? And his response to me has, has stuck in my head because I think it really captures this living in the present. He said, Steve, to follow Christ means to follow Christ. That's the choice, to live in the present, to live now. I'd like to close in prayer with you. And I know that New Year is coming, and this is the time we typically uh, set our eight goals for the next year and 14 resolutions, and, and that's fine. It's just fine. But I would like to ask you for the next few moments to, to focus not on a five-year plan for your life or even a five-hour plan for your life, but just focus on right now. Would you do that? That we, as we go to prayer, would just be asking God, God, what do you want to say to me right now, in this moment, at this time? Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we ask that you might make us aware of your presence. Lord, we, we know that in our brains. We know it from our study of the Bible, but we, we just want to be aware of you right now. We want to be aware of what you're doing. We want to be aware of what you're saying. Some of us in this place, as we sit, are sitting in fears. And I'd like to encourage you, would right now, you invite Jesus into those fears. To talk to him about that. To be specific, as specific as you can. To ask, Lord, what might you want to, to contribute to this conversation? What do you think about the fears that I have at this present time? As we are still before God, do any people come into your mind? Any needed conversations, any promptings? Lord, speak to us about this. If you're trapped in your past, if those hurts and failures continue to surface, continue to be relived, would you invite Jesus into that? into your past, into your history. Or maybe your mind is spinning with future things. What if this happens or what if that happens? Lord, we give those fears to you as well. 
Lord, we ask you to be part of the conversation that we have during, during this time, Lord, with our, with our past and with our future. Lord, we desire to leave the fish for a moment. Just come close to the fire to hear what you have to say to us. Jesus, is there something you're calling me to do? Is there an action, a choice to be made? Lord, do I need to stop and visit with our prayer team after church? Do I need to seek a counselor to help? Lord, should I pursue that e-group, that sense of community that is so needed in my life? Lord, is there a conversation that I need to have, a decision to make with my life? Lord, break loose the chains of indecisiveness and lost opportunities. Thank you for your kingdom, for kingdom involvement to pursue that moves out of our fear. Lord, it's so free. Jesus, speak to us. Maybe it's more basic that you've come today that you realize that a, a more foundational choice has to be made. It's about embracing Christ as your Savior. It's a choice to take the risk of following Christ giving your life to him, of acknowledging your, your sins and your need of a savior. The courage to say, yes, Jesus, I invite you to my life. Lord, we pray you do your work now in us as we worship you, as we respond. Lord, as we Quiet ourselves in these moments to just hear from you. Lord, do your work in us, we pray.